Hey, this is Pastor Dave from Cross Point Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We are a church on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can learn more about us by checking out our website at crosspointwestdallas.com. You can watch one of our services by going to our YouTube channel at Cross Point Church West Dallas. More than anything, we'd love to meet you in person and for you to be our guest on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. We would love to see you soon. And may God use this message to give power and grace to you today. Good morning, church. It is great to be with all of you today. We are in a series called In His Presence from the book of Exodus. And I've really been enjoying um, working our way through this amazing Old Testament book. And um, today, uh, last week, of course, we talked about life in the desert. Uh, today, we are going to talk about what happens at the mountain. At the mountain. I don't know about you guys, but I had a pretty rough week. My wife left town on Wednesday. And my kids have not been eating well. Um, They've been going hungry and thirsty and complaining to me, Dad, we're hungry, we're thirsty. Why did you bring us into this desert (laughs) to kill us? Why did you let mom leave? We want to go back to Egypt. Okay, you get the point. Um, But I'm here, and they're here. They drove by themselves, and they're here this morning, which is, I'm so proud of them. And uh, anyways, uh, I'm excited to share this word with you today, even though it's, uh, it didn't come together the way, it's, it's just going to be different today. Um, and, and you'll probably get that uh, as, we, as we go through. Today we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And I don't know how you feel about the Ten Commandments, Most people don't get excited about this, but you should. Um, So we're going to talk about what happens when God shows up at the mountain, at his mountain, and when the people show up at God's mountain. It is an amazing scene. And I don't know what it is about mountains, but there, there is a mountain theme from the early chapters of Genesis that is threaded throughout the entire scriptures. Um... There's something about mountains that reveal God to us. I can remember the first time I saw a mountain range. I was born and raised in Milwaukee, and we didn't travel much when I was a kid. Went to Florida a couple times. There's no mountains there. Uh, but when I was in high school, I think maybe my senior year, we uh, drove out to Colorado. And I can remember being in the back seat of our car, our station wagon, and I remember the moment where it happened. I was looking at the sort of like the horizon, and there was this moment where I realized, I, I thought I was looking at the cloud line, you know, that, that line in the sky where there's clouds and then you can see the blue underneath. But then it occurred to me that those weren't clouds, those were mountains. I was looking at a mountain range, and I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. I, I was amazed. I was in awe. And ever since then, I've been in awe of mountains. I love, I love the mountains so much. I took my son 
out to Colorado. Uh, we spent a week in Colorado, Colorado Springs for his 13th birthday trip. And it was, we only do that trip one time. We don't do that every year. Just when our kids turn uh, 12 or 13, we take them on this epic trip. And we went and spent a week in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains. It was an incredible experience. And uh, my family and I are going to uh, uh, Gatlinburg over spring break this year for a few days. And I'm, we're going to be in the mountains. I, I'm so looking forward to that. It's just an amazing experience. Um, because the mountains reveal something to us about God's majesty and God's power. And when I saw the mountains for the first time, it felt like I was seeing a side of God that I had never seen before. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever experienced something in your life and you felt like, I've never seen this side of God before? Um, Some of us have experienced that with our fathers. Like, at some moment in your life, you realized your father... You saw a side of your father you never saw before, and he, he became bigger in your eyes. You know what I mean? My wife told me this story, and I've shared this story before, uh, but when she was in middle school, she rode the bus to school, and there were some kids on, school, uh, on the bus who were bullying her and making fun of her because of her teeth. This was before she had braces, and she had crooked teeth, and they were like calling her names, and she just was very discouraged by this and was telling her mom and dad about it. So my father-in-law, Don, one morning got on the bus. I wouldn't recommend doing this today, but he did. He got on the bus with her, and uh, there was this big kid on the bus who went to our church. He was the biggest kid on the bus. He, everyone you know, revered this kid. He was one of the biggest kids in, in eighth grade or whatever. He was a year or two ahead of, um, of Vicky. And my father-in-law got on the bus, and, and he says to Vicky, okay, where are these kids? Point them out to me. And Vicky's like, they're right there. <laughs> He's like, hey, listen, if you guys pick on my daughter anymore, Jason Montana is going to make sure it never happens again. He pointed right to Jason, this big kid, and they're like, oh, my gosh. And that was the end of it. Never happened again. Now, my father-in-law is not one to throw his weight around. He's not a bully. He's, he's, a, he's one of the most misunderstood people I know, okay? <laughs> you all know that if you know him, right? He's the kind of guy who's going to protect the people he loves. He's just protecting her. And I, realized, I, I, I knew this, you know, when I was in middle school and I met Don for the first time, I knew that Don Spielman's the kind of guy I want in my corner, and he's the kind of guy who is sometimes larger than life. And my, my wife realized that when he got on the bus that day. She wasn't expecting that, but she realized my dad is going to take care of him. He's going to protect me. And that is kind of like what happens when Israel shows up at the mountain of God and they realize God is way bigger than they thought he was. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, which God gave Israel at Mount Sinai, but we're going to look at the Ten Commandments from a bird's eye view. And so here's what we're doing. We're not going to dig into these one at a time, really. We're going to go back. I want you guys to see the Ten Commandments and where, why, like, like why it matters when God gave them to the, to the people, all right? Not just that he gave to the Ten Commandments to the people, 
but when and why. So here's how we're going we're gonna to approach this today. If you could put the next slide up. We're going to start with, uh, from the bottom and work our way up, relationship, redemption, rules. That's the Ten Commandments. And then from there, we move to reflection, revelation, and radiance. And because I'm a preacher, all those words have to start with the letter R. And that's how we're going to go through this today. And you might be like, oh my gosh, there's six points today. We're never going to get out of here. Look, football season's over. What do you have to do? Thank you. No, actually, the service is going to be a normal length today. Don't worry. Um, So we're going to start with relationship because that's where God starts. It all started with a man named Abram. And you guys will remember back in Genesis 12 that that's where this started, God's relationship with Israel. It started with a relationship in Genesis 12, verse 2. God said to Abram, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. This is God speaking to Abram. God initiated a relationship with Abraham. He changed his name to Abraham. He made a covenant, a promise to Abraham that from Abraham's seed was going to come this great nation. And of course, Abraham was already an old man. He was like 75 years old, and he didn't have any children until he was almost 100 years old. It It was a miracle. It was God's covenant And it could have only happened because God did it. And that's how this all started. It was relationship between God and Abraham. And of course, Abraham was called a friend of God. That's a relational term. If I'm your friend, that means we have a relationship. It means there's trust. It means there's security. There's there's vulnerability. All of that. And so God had that with Abraham. And we, we see that Abraham listened to God. He trusted God. And God made promises to him. Abraham wasn't perfect. He didn't, he didn't do everything right. He made a lot of mistakes. He compromised. He lied. He took shortcuts. But God kept his end of the promise. And God never let Abraham down. And God, Abraham believed God. And God counted Abraham righteous because of his faith. Abraham had a personal relationship with God. That's how this whole thing started. And from Abraham, we get to Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob is confronted with God's personal presence in a profound way. We read about that. And they wrestle together and God changes his name to Israel. And from Jacob, we get the 12 tribes of Israel from Jacob's 12 sons who were raised in a very dysfunctional family by a dad with a messy life. And there there was jealousy and rivalry and uh, deception and regret. But by the end of the book of Genesis, in Genesis 50, one of um, Jacob's sons, Joseph, ends up in Egypt. He didn't, even, it, he didn't choose to go there. He was forced to go there. And then eventually, Jacob's whole family ends up in Egypt. And at the end of the book of Genesis, there's about 75, 70 to 75 of them in Jacob's family. And God, with, with, you know, with Jacob and Joseph and the rest of them, God continued this personal relationship. He continued, he kept his covenant going with, with each succeeding generation. It's all about that relationship. God keeps his promises. And that brings us to the next movement in this, in this revelation, which is redemp- redemption. We go from relationship to redemption. That's what happens next. 
Redemption is a very important word in the Bible. We've already dug into it at length. And it's, this is, redemption is the act by which God delivers his people from other people. Okay? Israel was in bondage. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they were beat down. They were dejected. They were crying out to God, God, help us. We're stuck. We're miserable. We're mistreated. We're helpless. Help us, God. Save us from this. And God answered. And they experienced the greatest act of redemption in the Old Testament when God delivers them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And that all happened through the mighty power of God. What did Israel do? They did virtually nothing. Right? They stood by and watched and God spoke and God acted and God hardened the king of Egypt's heart and God judged Egypt over and over with these plagues until they couldn't take anymore and they finally broke and God led Israel out, out from oppression into freedom, into the desert, which is where we, what we talked about last week. They crossed the Red Sea and then they looked back as God brought the waters down on the Egyptians and destroyed their enemies. It was all God. In fact, we, we read that God, uh, Israel didn't even trust God until they were, got through the Red Sea and the waters came back down on the Egyptians. That's when they put their trust in God, after God redeemed them. It's important. This is important to get the order right, okay? Two months later, they arrive at God's mountain. And that brings us to the rules. Let's talk about the rules. Um, I, I want you to see this. This is really important. God established a relationship with his people, and then God redeemed his people because he loved them, and then God gave them the Ten Commandments. It's really important to understand that, okay? Okay, let's, let's talk about the Ten Commandments, and let's read this. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, this is where this starts. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Verse 3, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now it's important for you to, to understand this, Okay. The, the Ten Commandments are attached to a God who has attached himself to a people. This God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who makes promises, carried them on eagles' wings. He carried them. They did nothing. He carried them to himself. He rescued them. God redeemed them. God loves them. And God did all of that before he gave them these commands. 
So here's the thing. A lot of people think in the Old Testament, God said, if you obey me, I'll love you. If you obey me, I'll save you. And sometimes we think about God that way today. We relate to God that way today. If I do the right thing, God will accept me. If I obey God's commands, if I can stop doing this and start doing this, if I can, you know, conquer this addiction or whatever it is, then God will accept me. But that is never the way God operates. It never was. God chose them. God loved them. God saved them. He redeemed them. He initiated this whole relationship before he even gave them his commands. Do you see what's happening? And have you ever, maybe some of you have wondered, why did God even choose Israel? Like, why Israel? What's so special about them? Listen to Deuteronomy 7. Again, Deuteronomy sheds a lot of light on the book of Exodus. This is what Moses said to the people as they're about to enter the promised land. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why Israel? Why not the Philistines? Why not the Egyptians? Well, they didn't really need rescuing. Israel did. But the bigger point is this. God does not see the way that we see. God does not value the things we value or care about the things we care about. If God and I were two captains and we were picking teams for a pickup basketball game, God would not choose the people I would choose, okay? I would choose the, I would choose Matt Helland. I would choose the biggest, most athletic, tallest looking people in the church. I'm not going to say who God would choose, but he would choose, (laughs) he would choose Don Spielman probably and win, God was not looking for the greatest nation, and God is not roaming the earth looking for the strongest, most self-reliant people. God was setting apart a people group who would be small in the world's eyes, and he set his affection on Israel not because they deserved it. God simply loved them because of his heart and his grace. That's maybe not the answer we're looking for, but that's what God said. I love you, I chose you because, because I love you. And this might be oversimplifying it, but it's almost like if one of your kids asked you, for those of you who have kids, if they're like, Dad, why do you love me? And all you can think to say is, because you're mine. Like, that's it, because you're mine. And because you're mine, I'm going to set up boundaries in your life. And I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to guide you. And some things are going to be off limits for you. And there are other things that you must do often for our relationship to thrive. Because I love you, I'm giving you rules. And if you follow these rules, our relationship's going to thrive. But if you don't live within these boundaries that I'm giving you, you're going to enter some dangerous territory. And there's going to be brokenness. And there will be consequences, and you're going to feel distant from me, and you're going to feel alone and empty, and you'll be miserable, and I don't want that kind of life for you. 
And that's why we give our kids boundaries. It's why we guide them. It's why we discipline them when they disrespect us and disobey us because we want them to become happy, loving, God-oriented human beings who shine brightly in this world. Right? And that's what God wants for his people. And that is exactly why God gives this law to the Israelites. God is giving Israel the way to joy. The, the joy of obedience. And what, is, what brings God joy? Uh, according to, the, to what we're, the Ten Commandments, here's what brings God joy. Love, honesty, justice, integrity, selflessness, purity, contentment. These bring God joy. And for us to experience joy, we need to do what brings God joy. And when we obey God, we feel his joy. Okay? So what are the Ten Commandments? What are the rules? We're going to read through them beginning in verse 3 of Exodus 20. Here's the first one. You must not have any other God but me. That's the most important one, by the way. Number four, or excuse me, verse four. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now these first four commandments are about putting God first in your life. That's what these are about. This is how to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. But the first commandment is the foundation. We must not put anything else in the place of God. We must not worship any... When we <clears throat> worship anyone or anyone, anything else besides God, we are breaking the most important commandment. And it's called, we call this idolatry. That's what idolatry is. Author Greg Dutcher defines idolatry this way, cherishing, trusting, or fearing anything more than we cherish, trust, or fear God himself. Putting God first in everything is the foundation for all the commandments. God longs for us with a jealous love. God's like a husband to us. He doesn't want to share us. God is zealous for our freedom. Uh, Pastor Phil is going to preach on idolatry next week from Exodus chapter 32. So I'm going to leave the rest to him. But here are the rest of the commandments in Exodus 20. Uh, we're going pick to pick it up in verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live long, full, a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house, 
You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, the rest of the Ten Commandments are all about putting others first. And we aren't going to go through them today, but here's what's happening. God is establishing boundaries and practices by which we can enjoy healthy relationships that honor God. God wants our friendships and our marriages and our families to thrive. God wants to protect our hearts. And God knows what's in our hearts. God knows we have a sinful nature and we wrestle with bad desires every day. And so God gives these commands to show us who he is and what he wants for us. But that all starts with the heart. All the decisions we make, all those, everything we do every single day comes from our hearts. The words we choose, the actions that we choose, the way our attitude, the way we relate to other people, it all comes from our hearts. And that means that our hearts need to change. And now we get to our next word, reflection, from rules to reflection. What is God doing here? God is giving Israel the blueprints or the framework for a new kind of community life. That's what God's doing. And if they live, he, he, God wants them to reflect his nature to the rest of the world or to project his glory to the rest of the world. That's what God's calling Israel to. That's the purpose of the commandments. And if they do this, if they obey these rules and practices, they will reflect God's uniqueness to the rest of the world. Remember, the world, it was very different then, of course, right? But people were basically the same. People are dominated by their own selfish ambitions and evil desires. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's every man for himself. It's a world where the strong overpower the weak and the rich shame the poor. The family you're born into determines the kind of life you're going to have. It's a world where people do what they want to do and they don't fear God. So God is saying to Israel, I'm forming you as a new nation with a new identity and you're going to be different. And when other nations see the way you live, they will be attracted to me. And that's what it means to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It means to be a nation that's set apart, a nation of priests, where when you come across people who are foreigners who don't know this God, who don't know God personally, they're going to be attracted to God by the way that you live, by your attitude, by what matters to you. You're going to show them God. You're going to, in a sense, bring them into God's presence. That's what priests, the priestly function was. And if Israel will live this way, and if, is, if Israel actually does what God asked them to do, nobody will abuse their power. Nobody will have to live in poverty. Nobody will feel excluded or ashamed. Everyone will feel valued and loved if they stay within these boundaries. So the law is good. I mean, this is good. This is what God wants. It's right but it's not enough. It's just not enough. It's not enough for us to change. The law only tells us what God wants. It doesn't give us the power we need to do what God wants. It can't make us right with God. It can't change us on the inside. All it does is show us how much we fall short of God's glory. 
What we need is a new heart that wants to please God. Because as we're going to see, <laughs> you're going to see this next week, before God even finishes giving, you know, ha- writing down these commandments, Israel falls off the deep end. They, they can't do it. They just can't do it. <clears throat> and that brings us to our next R word, revelation. And this is what um, we're gonna. T- this is what some some people have called the unfolding mystery of the Bible, the unfolding mystery of God's redemption. So here's what we're talking about, and we talk about this every week. God doesn't reveal His entire plan to Moses and Abraham. He didn't. He didn't do that. He could have. But he didn't. He starts a relationship with Abraham and he treats him like a friend. But he doesn't tell Abraham everything he's going to do or how great, how this great nation is going to come from his seed. He doesn't disclose all of that. And yet, God works in Abraham's life and Moses' life in a way that points them to Jesus, in a way that points them to another mountain that we're going to talk about. They long, Abraham and Moses were told, they long for the city where God dwells. God is preparing Israel for Jesus. That's what this is about. That's what the entire Old Testament is about. That's what we've been seeing every week. It all points to Christ, the Passover lamb, the Red Sea crossing, the manna in the desert, the rock that Moses struck so that the life-giving water came out. It all points to Jesus. It's all about him. The whole narrative, all of it, all of God's works, all of his miracles, all the redemption is moving towards the climax of it all, which is Jesus Christ on the cross and risen again. That's what the whole story is about. So when God gives Israel the Ten Commandments, they don't know how the story ends. They don't know how God's going to fulfill all these promises. All they know is God is larger than life and powerful and good, and we think he can be trusted. The rest is a mystery. But the New Testament is the revelation of the mystery. And this is what theologians call progressive revelation. As we read the Bible, God's redemption plan comes more and more into view. And the mystery is revealed. And what is the mystery? I I don't have a slide for this For this passage, but I want to share it with you from Ephesians chapter 3. This is, the Apostle Paul says this in no uncertain terms about, about God's plan. And this is what, what he says. Listen carefully to this. He's talking about the mystery of Jesus. And he says, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And then he says this, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. 
Okay, and what is the secret? What's the mystery? It's Christ. It's Christ crucified, and even more than that, it's Christ in you. It's Jesus Christ living in you. His spirit alive in you. That's the mystery. That's what we need. We need Christ to live in us. That's how God is redeeming the world today through people who have Christ alive in them, who have the glory of Christ shining through them and inviting other people to see Christ. The Ten Commandments were never the goal. The law is not our righteousness. Jesus is. The law condemns us. Jesus sets us free. Listen to Romans chapter 8. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his only son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Is this making sense? <clears throat> In Romans 8, Paul's saying, Jesus satisfied the requirements of the law. He obeyed the law perfectly. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He lived the way every human was meant to live. Jesus shows us what the law was meant to produce in a human. Perfect love, perfect meekness, perfect gentleness, unbridled generosity, unmatched strength and endurance, humility and boldness, zeal for God's house, hunger for what's right. Jesus embodied all of it perfectly. God's power just overflowed. God's love overflowed through Jesus. Because Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. In Jesus Christ, when you're reading the Gospels and you're reading about Jesus, you are seeing the law embodied in the man Jesus. The law was meant to lead us to Christ so that we can receive the promised Holy Spirit and live with a new heart that wants to please God. All right, that brings us to our last word, radiance. Radiance. In 1 Peter 2, the Apostle Peter said this to the church. And you're going to, you're going to, this, you should, this language should sound, sound very familiar. For you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even when, if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor when God judges the world. So here's, what, here's what's happening. The church is the, is the new Israel. The church is the new people of God, the Jews and Gentiles together. That's what God's plan was from the very beginning, but now it's being revealed. 
The church is the Israel of God. And the church is supposed to be a new kind of community where people are oriented to God and each other in a radically new way. We're no longer in it for ourselves. We're no longer driven by selfish ambition. We no longer use our power to get what we want. We no longer boast about what we have and what we can do. Jesus Christ died and rose again to introduce a radical new community to the world, one where people honor each other and put others' needs before their own, one where people forgive each other and don't hold grudges even when deep wounds have been made by sinful words and actions. And what sets this community or this new city apart is the people's common love for Christ and for one another. Every other barrier has been broken down, racial barriers, cultural barriers, political barriers. We all approach the throne of grace together. We all consider one another better than ourselves. We all consider each other more worthy. We all go out of our way to fight for reconciliation. We befriend unpopular and outcast people. We do not let ourselves become obsessed with things that people in the world become obsessed with. We don't need the praise of others. We seek hard after the lost. That's radiance. That's what God's called us to be. In another passage in Ephesians 5, God's giving some instructions to husbands and wives. And he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what God wants the church to be, radiant, holy, blameless. The Bible begins and ends with a marriage, really. It's, it's the, marriage is kind of the great metaphor of God's love for us and his relationship to his people. That's why we're told that God is jealous. It's a picture of the gospel. God will not share the throne of your heart with anyone or anything else. He wants us for himself. He has to be first. God is zealous for his bride, the church. God fought for us. He redeemed us with the blood of his only son, Jesus. God has a legal claim on your life. And with God's claim on your life, he has set you free. He has set you free from bondage to sin. He set you free to live in a way that honors him and that changes lives. So why the Ten Commandments? Why do we have the Ten Commandments? Why do they matter? Because God loves us. That's why. That's why God gave the commandments, because he loves us. God redeems us. It's because we're his treasured possession, the goal of the law is not to hold us back. A lot of us think about rules. We think about the Ten Commandments. We're like, why do I have to do this? Why does this matter? It's not to hold us back. It's to release us into a fuller, more exhilarating life with Christ at the center. God wants to protect us from sin and brokenness. He wants us to be his treasured possession. And it's what God wanted from the very beginning. God has always been making a way for his people to be with him on his holy mountain. And we're going to look at just one more passage this morning. <clears throat> and this is going to serve as our benediction today. So I'm just going to have you all stand as we read this, as I read this passage to you. <clears throat> Please meditate on these words as we prepare 
to dismiss today. Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood which speaks speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Here's the conclusion of the matter, my friends. We've all broken God's covenant with us. We're all lawbreakers. And if that doesn't scare you, then you either don't care about God or you don't believe in God or you have Jesus Christ as your mediator. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and his blood speaks forgiveness. His blood speaks freedom. We have already come to Mount Zion. We don't need to fear God's judgment because Jesus Christ was judged in our place on the cross. Mount Sinai was a symbol of fear and despair, but Mount Zion is a symbol of forgiveness and freedom. Which mountain are you seeking God from? We can approach God boldly through Jesus, but don't miss this warning. Be careful you do not refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Amen, brothers and sisters. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Hey, Pastor Dave, thanks again for listening to this message. We want you to know that what you just heard is a glimpse of what happens on Sunday mornings, but you know, the church is so much more than what happens on a Sunday mornings. Coming to a service is, is just a slice of who we are and what God is doing in and through us. So we would love to get to know you and let you get to know us. And maybe the best way to do that is come to one of our services. But you can also go to our website and fill out a contact form. And one of our pastors will follow up with you very shortly. Until then, we hope you have a great day. And thanks again for listening.